0: Good evening. Sounding okay? I don't like the over-the-ear microphone. I just can't. It looks like there's a bug flying around the side of my head. And so I can't use that one. So Doug had this lapel mic ready for me tonight. If you'll be turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 there tonight. I want to welcome all of you here tonight. We're so glad to see a good crowd of people. We're glad to have you watching by the live stream. Uh, if you are, uh, either whether you're a member here. Uh, or if you're joining us as a visitor, we certainly welcome you, and we hope that all of our members uh, will make you feel welcome. The Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, a very similar sermon uh, recorded in in Luke chapter 6, a sermon I believe that was separate and different. Uh, The wording is very different, the order of things are very different, but Jesus said some of the same things uh, over there. But this is the best sermon ever given. And probably one of the most recognized sermons ever given. Most of the things that people know about what Jesus said, they will quote from the Sermon on the Mount. And there are some very difficult teachings. Jesus changes the subject very quickly, very proverbial sermon, and what he has to say. And some things he has to say there are very difficult. I'm supposed to turn the other cheek when somebody slaps me. I try not to read that command very often. Of course, I don't get slapped very often either, so I don't have to worry about it. Uh, that very often, at least not what I would admit to. But also, I'm supposed to be meek, and I'm supposed to have a a gentle spirit. I'm supposed to to love and pray for my enemies. There are many things that Jesus asked us to do in this Sermon on the Mount. Uh, There's difficult teachings about divorce. I'm supposed to rejoice when I'm persecuted, be thankful and rejoice when people say evil things about me and blaspheme me, and to not be anxious about anything. That's very difficult in today's fast-paced and anxiety-driven society. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, and verse 6 is something we'll talk about tonight, whether or not it's connected to the first five verses as a subject of discussion, but not really important for the purposes of our lesson tonight. But this is a verse that people really, really like to run to whenever someone criticizes them for being sinful. In tonight's lesson, we're going to stay within the confines of the New Testament. We're going to speak about the New Testament church. That Jesus was not preaching a sermon to the New Testament church, but he was speaking to the covenant people of God. Uh, He was speaking to a pretty small crowd. Often we see pictures of Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Over in Luke chapter 6, it indicates a lot of people being there. But here, Jesus has left the crowd and retreated up on the mountain, and just his disciples have come with him. And when it says his disciples, it doesn't always mean just the 12, but it's not a gigantic crowd that Jesus is talking to. But he is talking to the people of God, a covenant people of God. And we have to understand what this message meant to them. Then how do we bring that forward into the church? Uh, When I read Paul's letters or epistles written by Peter or John or James, uh, other than John's gospel, they're speaking to the church. But here Jesus is not preaching to the church because the church doesn't exist yet. But he's still preaching an expectation of the covenant people of God. And so therefore, I feel like we can equate that and and learn from what he is saying. I want to read verses 1 through 6. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, When we speak within the confines of the church, the reason I say that I want to do that is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the teaching is very clear that God will take care of judging those outside of the church. We're not given authorization to judge those outside of the church. But what we see in the New Testament sometimes is a dichotomy there that we struggle with. When I'm told not to judge, and in other places in Romans 2, Romans 14, James 2, James 4, I'm told not to judge my brother. But yet... I do have to make judgments about people. But it's important that we understand what that word judge means. To us, it's a judicial term. It's something that someone does who sits on a bench uh, in a courtroom somewhere and he has the authority to to put someone in jail or to fine them or to, to, to punish them in some way. And we think about the Lord, the capital J, Judge, that one day we will all appear before the judgment seat of God and Christ and we will have to account for everything that we have done. And we think about, well, that judgment, that's like a permanent judgment. That's not jail. That's not a fine. That's not a ticket. That's con- condemnation. And we can look at this passage very quickly and know that we do not have the authority to condemn people. Only one has that authority, and that is God. And and Jesus has purchased the right to judge mankind. It's before him that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess not before any of us. And brothers and sisters, we have plenty of business to handle within the Lord's church in discernment and assessment of sin and struggles without worrying about what the outside world is doing. They're expected to be sinners. We are not. But we are looking at this and we say, well, if, I, if I'm supposed to not supposed to judge, how do I even determine who are dogs and pigs? In verse 6, Or how do I move over to Matthew 18 when Jesus teaches, if my brother has sinned against me, I go to him. And if he won't repent, I take others. And then we bring it before the church. There's a process given. Well, if if I'm not supposed to judge him, how do I even know that they're a sinner? And for that matter, how do I even know right here in this teaching that there is a speck in my brother's eye unless I'm making some sort of assessment or judgment about that? And that is what the word means, and the family of words in Greek mean, that's translated judge here, means to divide or to separate uh, or to discern uh, and, and to figure things out. It doesn't necessarily have a judicial meaning always in the form of final condemnation. Because, you know, we're all going to be measured by the same measure on judgment day. You're either in Christ or you're not. All of humanity dead and alive, will be judged by that same measuring stick. And that's the only one. And it should be noted, this this word does not mean measuring rod or measuring stick. I'm just using that as a term. It is a, a marketplace term, meaning if you can picture a set of scales and I'm piling stuff on one side of the scale and trying to figure out what the weight of something is, that's the measure that's being talked about here. But that's the same measure everyone will have applied to them. Do I want everyone to judge me in this life and assess me? by the same standards I assess other people by? Can I I stand up to that measurement? Well, we know we have to look at also in the Scriptures, as was talked about this morning by Craig, and looking at what Timothy had to bear, figuring out false teachers. Paul pronounced judgment on Hymenaeus and Alexander in his first letter to Timothy, and said, he's giving them over to Satan. We see that in 1 Corinthians 5, right? Why have you not taken care of the sexually sexually immoral man in your midst? Turn him over to Satan. Well, that sounds like judgment to me, but Jesus said, I'm not supposed to judge people. But can I not divide? Am I not called to figure out who are the false teachers? Because otherwise, if I don't have to figure out who false teachers are, I can tear 1 John and Jude out of my Bible because they have no purpose. Or I can tear part of Peter's epistles out of my Bible because if I'm not supposed to judge false teachers within the body then those those verses are pointless to me. So we know it doesn't make sense that Jesus is saying, I never want you to assess sin and separate sin out from among your midst. Because we see that that's taken care of another other places in the Scriptures. What is Jesus' audience hearing here? We're talking about a people who are hearing this kind of teaching for the first time. Well, what was going on? Jesus is not talking to the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes or the Jewish religious establishment. We're not told they're present at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. It's Jesus' followers. Were they guilty of assessing others and judging others? And are we as God's people guilty of looking outward and never looking inward? And as much as we may debate about what Jesus means by judging or not judging, what's really true here is as many times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about self-assessment. Why don't you examine yourself first? Why don't you get, and Jesus uses ridiculous sarcasm and hyperbole here when he talks about the, the speck that's in one person's eye and the log in another, perhaps Jesus hearkening back to his carpentry days uh, in his hometown of Nazareth. The, the, obviously, I don't have a log sticking out of my eye. I could have a speck in my eye, but I can't see clearly. I am blind. In Luke chapter 6, uh, this same uh, type of teaching in that sermon. He says, Judge not, lest you be judged. Condemn not, lest you be judged. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Show mercy. How can a blind man lead a blind man or both will fall into a ditch? If I've got a log in my eye, I can't see clearly to help my brother out and assess and say, let me help you with that sin. But it opens up first with self-assessment. So maybe there's a middle ground here. The Bible clearly teaches me that I have to assess things I have to look at stuff within the church. Uh, Elders are called to do that, to keep false teachers uh, out of the church, to keep healthy doctrine. I think Craig did a really good job this morning of of handling that word sound uh, by making it healthy. It sounds better. It's it's more true to the original language. And thinking about healthy, well, the elders have to keep a church healthy, but all the members have to keep the church healthy. Nowhere in 1 Corinthians 5 are the elders told to put the man out of your midst. The congregation is told, put the man out of your midst. And in an honor and shame society, that would shame a person greatly to be expelled from his social or religious group. We don't practice that uh, very often in the church. So we have to make this assessment. But when I think about what it goes to here and says, you hypocrite. It's interesting the language here in in verses one and two, the the sermon I'm going to use, the the English, the Southern English translation of the plural pronoun you, y'all. Jesus says, y'all judge not, I'm going to use even a southern accent that Jesus didn't have. Y'all judge not, lest y'all be judged. For the judgment which y'all pronounce, y'all will be judged. And the measure y'all use, it'll be measured to you. So it says Jesus is looking over his disciples and speaking to them as a group. But in verse 3, he switches to a second person singular pronoun, you, as if he's now looking down and pointing at people in the audience. You need to get the speck out, the log out of your eye before you get the speck out of your brother's eye. Hypocrite is a direct singular word. You, hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And so we think about that word hypocrite. It has an inherently negative context in our society, doesn't it? If I were to say Chris Pratt is an excellent example of a popular hypocrite, but some of you ladies in here might get mad at me for saying that, Uh, And Chris Pratt may not appreciate me saying that. Uh, He is an actor though, right? Uh, And this word inherently in Greek, in Greek long before the time of Jesus, meant someone who put on a mask and acted out a character that they were not. And even the word hypocrite in Greek, it's a transliterated word. It's kind of like baptism or blasphemy. We have an English word that we just kind of make it sound like uh, the Greek word, I really wish we translated baptism immersion and actually translated the word instead of transliterating the word because then it would have meant more uh, to people about being immersed. But we just kind of moved that word through and made it sound like something new in English. But hypocrite is a, in Greek is a compound word and I always hesitate to do this because uh, one of the frequent errors in word study is for people to think a Greek word that's a compound word is always the sum of its parts, it's not. But this is a compound word, and it made up two words, one which means under or behind, hypo, like hypodermic needle. It's hypo in Greek. And then krite means to to act out or to separate or to divide or to discern. It's the same type of word that we have translated judge. And so it essentially is for me to make a decision behind a mask. And that's what an actor does. He's behind a mask and he decides how I'm going to act out this part. Uh, In in the Greek theater, I'm assigned, told, hey, this is the nature of your character and I have to figure out how to act him out. And so someone who is a hypocrite, in Jesus' terms here, he's using it metaphorically obviously, right? He's not accusing his crowd and listeners of being actors. But he's saying, you are hiding behind a mask and acting out a part of a judge that you have no place to be doing because... You haven't first cleaned up your own mess. You haven't done that. You are merely an actor. You can't take the role of a judge because you don't have clean hands. You know we can look back in the Hebrew scriptures and see that unjust judges were not allowed to exist in Israel. We see that in Exodus again in the second giving of the law in Deuteronomy on the plains of Moab. We think about the story of David and Nathan, right? When Nathan came and told the story about the man taking somebody's some poor guy's only little sheep. And David said, Oh, we got to condemn that man. What is he got? No business doing that. And what did Nathan say to him? You are that man. You have no right to pronounce that kind of judgment because you did this to your man Uriah by taking his wife Bathsheba. He was an unjust judge. David was a hypocrite in doing that right there. He's sitting there telling how horrible that would be, and he was doing it to himself. And so, what I get from this passage, and I've done a lot of personal study here recently in this passage. And it's made me think I'm going to focus more on am I worried about whether I'm supposed to judge or all this kind of stuff and debating about that. I need to assess other people. I need to assess the kind of company I hang out with, uh, the people that I keep, who I'm going to have close relationships with. Those are easy, clear biblical teachings. I'm not an elder, so I don't have the burden uh, of of disfellowshipping someone out of the church, uh, but I can certainly choose that my family may not hang around and be close to people who do not practice righteousness But what I need to do before I do anything is make sure that I look at Tim Martin first and foremost. Because I can promise you, I've got some two-by-fours in my eyes that need to be cleared out before I go to a point of assessing someone else uh, and their sin and telling them what they need to change. I've got plenty that I need to clear up in my life and I need to be prepared to do that and I need to be actively doing that because the Lord does want us to help our brothers and sisters out who are struggling in sin. That is a responsibility. That is a sound doctrine of the Lord's church is that we are able to help out those who are struggling in sin. I think about over in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, well, to be caught, you have to be judged, right? You have to be assessed. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's how we assess others. and When I, when I go to get the speck out of the eye, I do it with meekness and gentleness and humility. But what does Paul tell the Galatians? Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, if he is a hypocrite, if he is a judge, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not by his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load. We will all have to appear before God's judgment seat one day. But we obviously have a duty to help each other out when someone's caught in a transgression. So we have to therefore assess someone and say, my brother is in sin or my sister is struggling, I'm going to go to them and see how I can help. But not with a haughtiness, not with a superior attitude, not with an arrogance, but with meekness and gentleness and humility because you know what brothers and sisters we need to remember that anyone we go to who is our brother and sister in Christ has been forgiven by God just like we have been they have been shown God's mercy just as we have been shown God's mercy otherwise we are like the wicked slave right? forgiven of a little bitty a a huge debt but won't forgive his fellow servant of a, of a, a little minuscule debt wicked servant that's what you are when you go and do that when you act like a judge and you have no place to do it, and you do it with haughtiness. Remember first and foremost that we are going to someone who Christ died for. And just like us, they have said, I'm a sinner and I'm not worthy of heaven, but I have this grace through my Lord Jesus Christ's blood. They have that same forgiveness you do. Their sins are washed away. They may be more than you. They may be less than you, whatever that winds up being. But first and foremost, we need to realize that they're in the same boat that we are when we look at that. I think over in James, you know, if I think about, okay, I have to assist my brothers in verse five in chapter five, verse nineteen, and I know I'm going quickly, I don't mean for all of you to turn there. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, okay, there's an active thing, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What is Jesus telling us here? I may be expanding on it more than he meant meant for it to, but I think Jesus wants us to be in a position of being ready to help our brother and sister in Christ. And that's something that requires self-discipline. It's something that requires the humility to admit that we may be wrong. Greg was right this morning. There's an arrogance problem many times in the church. And we need to think about that when we assess ourselves like, "Hey, What do I need to get out of my life that I can see clearly to help my brother? Not so I can point out my brother's mistakes or or to make myself feel better because, hey, I don't have any sin in my life anymore, which we can never boast of, but I've gotten my log cleared out now. Now I'm going to go help out my measly brother over here who can't get the speck out of his eye. No, I want to do it because I love them. And I want their soul to go to heaven and not to hell. That's why I want to do that. I want to get the log out of my eye so that I'm not acting from behind a mask like somebody, but I can that mask doesn't exist. I am that person's brother in Christ. I love them. I care about them. They are part of the same body that I am part of. And so, when I think about things that Jesus would want me to do, in this paragraph here, I think He says, I want you to be ready to help your brother out. I don't want you to be a hypocrite. A hypocrite's an actor. He's not ready to help out. He can't act out because the truth... Behind the mask, he's not anything. He's a different person. Jesus wants me to be ready to assess uh, and to help others, not to loft myself up. Verse 6 is a very difficult verse here on whether it's connected to this passage or not. Exactly what is holy is debated. uh, What pearls are are debated. But one interesting reading of this or several conclusions about this in thinking about, okay, number one, are we going, as holy people of God, are we going to judge each other and condemn each other and habitually criticize one another so the outside world can say, Well, I really want to be part of that. I really want to be part of that because that allows them to turn and attack us. Now keep in mind, this is a pretty rough statement to make. Uh, we, we think about dogs and pigs, we think about our domesticated pet at home that climbs up in the bed with us and licks us on the face. Or we think about a docile herd of pigs in a controlled agricultural setting. We're not talking about that here. We're talking about wild, scavenging animals, dangerous animals. If any of you have gone to countries where there's abject poverty and there's mangy dogs roaming the streets all around and there's wild animals all about the place and people have to protect their children from these animals, That's the kind of environment we're talking about. And both dogs and swine, unclean animals, to Jews. So when you you think about when Jesus is talking to Jews and, and assessing someone as dogs and pigs, sometimes in Jewish literature and in the Bible, in Peter's writings, that's referring to the outside Gentile world. And so do we take what's holy, the church, that God has set up to be a body that helps itself, and instead we judge each other and criticize each other while we're hypocritical in that judgment and the outside world says, I don't want anything to do with that, and I'm going to turn and attack you because you are saying one thing, your Savior said one thing, the author of your religious literature said this, but yet you don't follow it. I don't want any part of that. I can get that at work every day. I don't have to become part of a a fellowship of of religion uh, to get part of that and, and doing that. And So we don't necessarily know exactly what is meant, or some people think, the preaching of the gospel, uh, and people are rejected, but the context doesn't indicate that. There's nothing about the preaching of the gospel uh, here in this context. But we should think about the fact that, okay, well, what if I am judgmental of my fellow Christian? What if they turn and attack me? I'm opening myself up to the same judgment. What I get from verse 6, I do think it's connected to this passage. What I get from it is Jesus says it's dangerous. It's dangerous, it's hazardous, it's risky, and it's dealing with disgusting, unclean things for me to be critical, hypercritical, and judgmental of my brother or sister in Christ. Uh, And for him, he was obviously talking about his Jewish brethren there. So I hope what I can gain from this lesson and looking at this, what Jesus was saying, as he does often through the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about me assessing myself internally, my mental state, my mental workings and processes. Not only should I not commit adultery, I shouldn't lust, not only should I not murder someone, I should not be angry with them. I shouldn't hate my enemy, I should love my enemy. All of those are mental decisions that I have to make. And here it's asking me to make another mental decision. To have the humility to admit that I'm a sinner. Because, you know, I admitted it to God at some point in my life. I didn't have to admit it, God already knew I was. But, you know, I have, had to admit that I'm lost without God. I'm a sinner in need of Christ's blood. And look at our lives continually. And keep sin cleansed out of our lives. One way to do that is keep yourself busy doing God's work. Keep yourself busy being around God's people. And keep yourself busy in God's word. That's a really good way to keep that out of your life. But as we learn more and we study more about the ethical standards that God has put forth in the entirety of this book, we need to be constantly looking at ourselves at different stages in life, different places in life, in the workplace, in the home place, amongst our uh, society, amongst our friends. Let's say Am I keeping myself clean? Am I keeping myself separated? Where that I can see clearly for the purpose of helping my brother and sister in Christ bear a burden when the time comes. That is selfless thinking, not about selfish thinking. I think sometimes we think about, I just need to keep myself free from sin so that I don't fall away and have to go to hell one day. But what about if we keep ourselves free from sin so we can also prevent our brother and sister in Christ from falling away? That is pure love right there. That's love for somebody else's soul. Remember what Paul said in Romans about the Jews that wouldn't listen to him? He said, I wish myself were accursed if only my brothers would believe in Christ. He was ready to accept condemnation himself if it would just convince the listeners, his own people, if they would just believe in Christ. What kind of beautiful attitude is that that we can emulate that Paul had? You may be here tonight and you're in one of three different situations. You're either in Christ or you were in Christ and you've fallen away from Christ or you've never been in Christ before. You've never been baptized into Christ. Perhaps you're in a different state of being ready to do that. Perhaps you're hearing God's Word for the first time. And I apologize, I'm not the best at delivering it. And you need to study more. And you want to know more about this salvation. How can I be like someone who's in a position to help somebody else? How can I take care of my own sins and my relationship with Christ and God be restored to that status it was before Adam and Eve sin? How can I reconcile that gulf between myself and God? Or I've been part of the family of God and as the Hebrew writer talks about, I've gotten entangled again in sin and I have fallen away from that and I need the prayers of the church. I need the forgiveness of my God. Don't leave here tonight without that being taken care of. If, if you've sinned against this congregation, you can come and confess that sin and ask for forgiveness. And you know what? Those here who are in Christ will give you that forgiveness because our Lord Jesus Christ demands it of us in order for us to be forgiven. But we ought to also forgive because we love you and we know what it feels like to be a great debtor in that way. If you need to study more, if you have studied, you're prepared to be baptized and put on Christ tonight, or if you just need the prayers of this church, please come, don't hesitate, as we stand as we sing.